Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom Keene. Live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom Keene. We welcome all of you uh, worldwide on economics, finance, uh, and investment, Mike, a churn going on before jobs day tomorrow. And some of it is a holistic sense of our political economy. There hadn't been any real um, conviction in the economy at this point, uh, in the markets uh, at this point. Um, futures little changed on the day. Okay, well, very good. Uh, now, an interview on a larger economy. Here is our Eric Shasker with the one Ray Dalio. On behalf of our Bloomberg television viewers and our Bloomberg radio listeners, Worldwide welcome. Thank you. Let's get right to it. Uh, Ray, people who know you, who follow you, know that you've developed models to explain how the economy works. And anybody who's even remotely familiar with Bridgewater uh, knows about the machine, for example, knows about the importance of the business cycle, and furthermore, the importance of the long-term debt cycle. What are those models telling you right now? Well, let me just take a second and just review the models so everybody knows. Um, so I'm saying that um, over period of time, productivity matters the most. What you earn is what you can get to spend. But around that, there are two debt cycles. There's a short-term debt cycle that lets you spend more than you earn over a short period of time, but when you pay back, you have to spend less. And that there's that cycle, the five- to eight-year cycle, is the business cycle. We're used to that. Everybody understands that. And then there's a long-term debt cycle that um, goes on 50, 75 years, and um, it goes through its limitations. When you have too much debt relative to income, so you can't service it anymore, and when interest rates go to zero, so there can't be stimulation, we have run out of monetary policy, number one, and we have to go to monetary policy, number two. Monetary policy, number two, is quantitative easing. This happened in the Great Depression, happened recently, and that means the purchase of financial assets by the central bank And the sellers of those financial assets then buy other financial assets, and they cause those other financial assets to rise in price and have the effect of lowering those expected returns. And when those other expected returns are low in relationship to cash, one is almost indifferent. And so when you buy that bond, when the Fed puts that money in the system, that person is going to then go not... It's indifferent, and that's called pushing on a string. And pushing on a string began in 1935, and we're going into a situation which is generally worldwide somewhat analogous to that. So We're there again. We're approaching it. So if I just take country by country now, if I could give you a world tour. A world tour. Let's do that quickly. Okay. Um, So Japan was there first. For a couple of decades. For a couple of decades pushing on a string, because they hit interest rates uh, right. at zero. And Stock now they've embarked on the most aggressive quantitative easing program the world has ever seen. And and they're trying to stimulate to get 2% inflation, and they're going nowhere. It's not working. And it's not working. So what's Europe the is there. Okay. Okay. Europe, if you look at the um, across the curve, we have interest rates at zero or slightly negative, depending on where. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, so interest rates are certainly not going to work. And then the purchases of those financial assets are getting transmitted and currency movements and the like, and the effect of raising those assets is not is very limited. So we're there 
in Europe, very close to being there in Europe. In the United States, we have a little bit more room. We're very close to zero interest rates. And then if you take the spreads, the spreads are, are relatively low. So a little less than a 2% bond yield. We think equities expected returns probably are around 4%. So there's some spread there, some ability. The issue is if that creates asymmetric risks. Mm -hmm. To the downside. To the downside, meaning um, it's tightening is always going to be effective. You, it's easy. You raise interest rates and things will slow down because everybody's got a lot of debt. Not a problem. The situation is the risk on the downside, because if you have a movement on the downside, it's a risky situation. So we're going to have to see, um, and you'll see increased exploration, of the movement to make, to, to make other forms of stimulation, which I'm calling monetary policy three. Monetary policy three will not be just through quantitative easing. Quantitative easing by... Assets. Financial assets right. from people who have it, and it stays in the financial community. We're going to have to move toward, increasingly, the making of uh, purchases that put money directly in the hands of spenders. Because the linkage between having money in the financial assets and having spending is becoming weaker and weaker. Can I just pause for a moment? Sure. So what you're effectively saying to me is that Monetary policy one interest rates has sort of run its course. It's become ineffective. Monetary policy two, quantitative easing, if I take you correctly, ineffective. Central banks are now going to have to print money and hand it to consumers? In one fashion or in another, um, they're going to have to go more directly to spenders. How, how does that work? Well, it can work in um, either a combination of fiscal and monetary policy. Some, there's a continuum of how it's worked in history. In some cases, you can have the federal government um, run deficits, which the central, the central bank essentially monetizes mm -hmm. by lending them money, and that, that's one path. Some, and then on, there's a continuum. And on that continuum, the far side of that continuum is called helicopter money. Mm -hmm. uh, what helicopter money uh, means um, is the process of essentially pu putting it directly in your hands. The central bank has the capacity legally to essentially get money in your hands. There's a legal – the laws change from place okay. to place – to put it directly in your hands to have you spend it. In other words, to not bypass – to bypass the financial markets to do that. So there's a range of ways that that can be done. History is, is loaded with them. We're just not acquainted with them because they haven't happened in our lifetimes before. I see. In other words, these long-term debt cycles come once a lifetime, and people once are not... Once a century, even. Once a century, even. So they're rare. And, and, but, but if you go back over history and you see them, they've happened many times. So let's look a little more short-term, because that's going to take some time to play out, I take it and, and it, and examine what's going to happen in the next little while. Good. Um, you have been saying for some time that you anticipate the Fed's going to have to ease again and possibly even embark on a new round of quantitative easing. That the next big move, there'll be minor moves, like you may get another 25 basis point move, but the next big... you mean? Yeah, you down. could... Up. We, you, so you, you, could, you could see another 25 basis point rise in rates. I'm not saying that you couldn't see. I just want to be clear. Yeah. The next big move, I believe, will have to be toward quantitative easing rather than a big tightening. You, you, you won't see a big tightening. So the next move we, we, could be up, could be down. Yeah, the tick. Yeah, you could get an uptick. The next as big, early as a couple of weeks from now? I don't think... 
I think that they'd be a serious, I've always said, and I continue to say, I think it would be a serious mistake. I think that the Federal Reserve has come around to the notion uh, that the, we're living in a world economy and that the circumstances that are now happening are surprising them, have surprised mm-hmm. them, because they're not paying enough attention to the long-term debt cycle. In other words, what is, there's a reason that their attitudes have changed. Okay. And I'm, I think it's great that their attitudes have changed about that risk. But you, if you look at the, around the world, our risk is not inflation and our risk is not overheating economies. Okay, so you still feel the same way about the trajectory of the Federal Reserve and its That's monetary right. policy. If the asymmetric, if, if the, the risks that we've talked about, if they're asymmetrically to the downside for the global economy and for the effectiveness of monetary policy because of this compression of the spread between the return on fixed income, you know, and risk assets, what does that mean for asset prices? Well, it means that um, asset prices correct to a point where the risk premiums come back. We've well, we seen a little bit of that. That's right? right. In other words, the correction that's happened in the stock market. Let me be clear. I'm not bearish on the stock market. No? Oh, no, I'm not bearish on the stock market. I'm saying that what we have is, as you have those risk premiums, mm-hmm. but let's say I, I expect probably stocks will have about a 4% return. In other words, long-term return, 4%. That's a problem for a lot of savers. But nonetheless, the choices and are... And pension funds like the university we're at right now. Yes, and pension funds and a lot of savers. It's a big problem that is like a slow-growing cancer because it will not happen overnight, but it'll mean that we won't have enough money to fund those things. But nonetheless, investors make a choice of assets. And the choices are cash, which has zero return, mm-hmm. Um, a bond, which has less than 2% return, and equities, as we calculated, has something like a 4% re- expected return. So when you look at those assets, what would happen is as they sell off, it has the effect of making those assets more attractive and, and, and then draws us in or draws others in. The issue here that we're dealing with is the possibility of the negative feedback loop that comes from that and the ineffectiveness of monetary policy. So when stocks go down, and it has a negative wealth effect, that has a negative effect on the economy. And when that has a negative effect on the economy and you don't have the ability to ease, what I'm worried about is should the situation become weak enough in the economy, like Japan's situation, for, like you said, two decades, you will have a situation where then they have to do something else. Ray, I'm going to take this opportunity just to remind everybody that uh, this is Ray Dalio, of course, the founder, chairman, co-CIO of Bridgewater Associates, and we're simulcasting live on Bloomberg Radio, welcoming everybody to the conversation. Um, let's go beyond stocks. If the long-term average annual return for stocks is 4%, and obviously it's less for government bonds and cash at the moment and for the time being is zero, uh, what makes sense as an investment strategy? What do you buy? What do, you know? What do you short effectively? I mean, you know, broadly speaking, where what what's going to work? Well, I think and what is working, perhaps more appropriately today. Um, I think there are two ways that the average investor should think of investing. Uh, one is, um, are you going to create a good strategic asset allocation mix that is a balanced portfolio that means that you're not going to go to the betting table and bet against active investors? Like me. Look, look, I'm, I'm scared of being wrong in the markets. It is not easy to win in the market. It is more difficult to win in the markets than to compete in the Olympics. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. You guys have an extraordinary track record of winning. Yeah. Is it harder to compete in the markets today than it has been since you founded Bridgewater? No, I don't think so. Really? Not the way we do it. 
And the reason I'm saying not the way we do it is we don't take systematic biases. I think for a lot of people, they're systematically long everything, you know? And so we have a world in which they're, when the world gets bad, it's bad for them. In 2008, it was great for us. I don't know. We had nearly a 10% return in 2008. So we have the opportunity to go either way. We just may be wrong <laughs> if we're wrong. So, so I'm so scared about being wrong that it has helped reduce.